We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Roto-Wire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, December 14th. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. Want to wish a happy birthday to Anthony Mason. First things first. Got to get that out of the way. Rest in peace to Anthony Mason, one of my all-time favorite players. Um, and I recently discovered that Basketball Reference has this great tool that allows you to basically see what happened on a given day at any point in basketball history. Um, so I spent a good deal of time uh, last night and a little bit today during the afternoon, just kind of seeing what happened uh, on this day on December 14th in history. So it's the five-year anniversary of the Chris Paul deal, the real one. You hear all the time, it's like, oh, it's the, I think it was like earlier this week or last week, it was the five-year anniversary, of course, of Chris Paul not being traded to the Lakers. Uh, this is the five-year anniversary of a trail that actually, a trade, I should say, that actually happened uh, where he went from New Orleans to the Clippers, which it seems like forever ago that he was in New Orleans, right? Like five years, you know, I guess when you think of it in time like that, it seems about right. But like I, to me, he's just been in the Clipper for as long as I can remember. I mean, Byron Scott coached him back in the day and, and thinks Former coach changed. of the year, Byron Scott. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I mean, 
our opinion of Byron Scott has certainly changed since then. So a lot has transpired. You're right. Since Chris Paul was on mm-hmm. the New Orleans team. Yeah. Um, elsewhere in 2001, Kevin Garnett had a 29 point, 24 rebound, eight assist, two steal, one block game. That's a pretty good game. That's a lot of stats. In 2005, Andre Kirilenko, friend of the program, had 21 points, 16 boards, eight blocks, three assists, and two steals. Sorry, I didn't want to cut you off while you I would, Yeah, I didn't let you cut me off. I, I wanted to be known he's a best friend of the program, not just a friend. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. All right, yeah, I guess. We hang you know, out with no. him every, all the time. Yeah, I, I wish we did. Uh, and in 2010, another best friend of the program, uh, personal best friend of mine, Darko Milicic, 25-11 and 11 in a loss to the Golden State Warriors. That one was, was when he was a member of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So don't let anyone try to tell you that he was a bust. He had a 25-11 and 11 game uh, at one point about six years ago. Yeah, I, I think we've lost Nick just just to this feature on Basketball Reference. I, th- I think your family and friends are going to you know confront you one day very soon and just be like, you haven't been hanging out, you haven't been answering our texts, and you're just going to be running down every single day what happened mm-hmm. on this day in NBA history. Well, it's just a nice reminder. Like I was looking back at you know what happened on this day, and like I started with like '95 and went all the way to like 2014, and there's like Anthony Peeler had like a 25 point game, and like. You know, guys like Antonio Daniels had like a 15 assist game. Like Grievous Vasquez had like an 18 assist game. It was like, what? It just reminds you that like these guys that we think of now as, you know, either has-beens who are out of the league or someone like Vasquez who it seems like hasn't played in like two years, that at one point like their perception was maybe totally different, even if only for a day or for a week. Yeah, no, that that's completely true. I got a question for you. Tomorrow's December 15th. It's, it's. Yes. Uh, right. Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah, correct, it is. <laughs> yes, correct. Uh, players that were signed during the offseason are now eligible to be traded. Do you think that any teams will trade with each other tomorrow, December 15th? Not really, no. I don't I don't think so. I, I don't think it'll be an immediate thing. Um, like you said, the guys who were signed this offseason, um, basically if you've used the trade machine in the last like couple months and you see the players that have yep. a little like restriction next to them, like that's going to clear out. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Is like <laughs> you can kind of you know, expand your horizons uh, with the trade with the trade machine that ESPN puts out. Uh, but no, I mean I don't think we'll see anything right away. You know the the deals will trickle out as they always do. Maybe one or two before the deadline, and then uh, you know everything will kind of fast forward. Of course, you know once we once we get to around the All Star break, but I'm not expecting any major major fireworks. All right. Yeah. I mean, I would love to think that teams already have deals kind of underneath the table, just ready to go. Um, but I'll probably be probably be fooling myself or talking myself. I mean, what, which of those guys is tomorrow. like just lining up to be traded right now? Well, it's it's mostly so far. It's mostly that you know, like one piece of a bigger trade is now in place. So it's not just like, oh, we're gonna. Yeah. It's gonna be a frenzy of all those guys that signed the summer. It's more like, all right, now all the building blocks are in place. Anything that could happen before the trade deadline can now actually happen. So in theory, uh, that could start tomorrow. True. So you know, if you want to throw out an example like Demarcus Cousins, you know, it, it seems like you can re- read one report, you can read another report a few days later. One says he's getting traded. One says the Kings aren't aren't entertaining any talks, but. You know, in that situation, a guy like Matt Barnes can now be thrown in. Aaron Aflalo, Anthony Tolliver, Garrett Temple, like little pieces like that. Um, and, you know, a team like Orlando that has compiled this really weird talent. Um, you know, Fournier signed the extension, so he's he's somebody that wouldn't be eligible. Trailblazers. The Blazers. The Blazers, yeah, yeah, they're the one team, I think, that 
if there's one team that's been kind of watching the calendar and waiting for this date to come, it's probably Portland just because of how they plan their off season and how bizarre it looked for a time. And then you got to remember that this is, you know, an ownership group and a, a management group that that knows what it's doing. Um, so you would think, yeah, if there's a team that would maybe have something in the works, it's them, but you got to find a partner that's willing as well. Yeah, no, I, I think the way that both the magic and the trailblazers compose their roster, like you said, during the off season, we're hoping and assuming at least maybe more With so Portland. For the yeah. Like I feel like Orlando just did it. And well, like, we, you know, I mean, we haven't afforded that same luxury to the magic. Like they haven't have earned the trailblazers. It. I know, I know you're right. They, they haven't earned it yet, but especially those two teams, those are the two teams that we're, you're like, if they're going to make a trade before the trade deadline, it's possible for them to do it tomorrow. And since they've already had this grand scheme seemingly in place, why not just do it tomorrow? Let's why? go. I mean, why, though? Why why do it tomorrow? Like, it's not like there's a deadline where like you can only trade these guys know, on this I, day. I know. I mean, the, like, only, the argument is like, yeah, you get more time with the guy that you're getting. You know, he's playing more games for your team, I well, guess. Well, again, all the trades that will happen between now and the deadline are now eligible to happen tomorrow. So, Correct. I mean, it seems like people have this, I mean, teams have this planned out somewhat, especially for guys on expiring contracts. You know, people always say like, why are you going to trade for a guy on, a, on an expiring contract? It's most often, like you said, to just see how good of a fit he's going to be. So why would you not want mm. three quarters of the season as opposed to just half a season? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of reasons that guys like that are dealt. I, th- I think it it really, really varies, you know, team by team. You know, a team like Cleveland is looking for an expiring deal for a one year run. They're not looking to see how PJ Tucker is going to fit and like, oh, maybe we'll bring him back. It's like if he's going to help us this season, that's what we're going for. But you know, again, like a team like Orlando might see that differently. A team that's not competing this year. Um, but let's get to what we really want to talk about on the podcast. We're going to do some redraft stuff. Um, always fun to, to kind of look back on, on NBA drafts, and James and I will do a ton more draft coverage on the podcast tomorrow. Uh, but we're going to kind of redraft the 2016 draft or the 2015 draft or do them separately. And then no. it was your idea to just kind of combine them because they're both like pretty weak as of right now. There's a, it, top-heavy, I guess, maybe is the right word. Uh, so we're just going to pretend, hypothetically, that all the prospects from the last two drafts were in one class. Uh, and basically, we're going to give our you know, our lottery or our top 15 or so uh, prospects and explain why. So I'll let you go first. Yeah. Well, I started to do this year's draft class, and it was super boring. Uh, we did this last year, and it was a lot <laughs> yeah. more interesting because you had... Well, you need a little Zingas more time, Russell, too. But I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not nearly as inspired as I was redrafting last year's class. So I think it's fun to see how this, the classes stack up against each other. And if we do this in 365 days with this year's draft class, it would be very, very interesting. Because as James has told me and informed me, because he's more of a prospect guy, so are you... Um, you know, like somebody like a Jalen Brown, James Anderson. James Anderson thinks that he would go 14th yeah. in this coming draft. So obviously, um, yeah. Change. I mean, James. Yeah, James and I talked about that this morning, and I don't. It's you know, in retrospect, it's kind of easy to say that you know, because Brown he hasn't been bad, but you know, he just hasn't lit the world on fire. And you know, there's so many prospects right now in college basketball that are kind of doing that. Um, and it's hard to say, like, how would he have been judged, you know, if he's going up against these guys. But there is no, there's no doubt that the 2017 draft is stocked. And like, there literally, there's an argument that like Brandon Ingram was the you know lock number two prospect, or you know, some people thought number one prospect. I mean, he's he's doesn't go number one. He's not in consideration for the number one pick in 2017. And like, he would, 
it, it wouldn't be like shocking if he went as low as like four or five, which is kind of crazy because he's a great prospect. Um, and you know, guys, you know, someone like a Chris Dunn, all of a sudden, like James and I had the conversation of like, if you're Minnesota and you don't turn this thing around and granted they got a win in Chicago the other night, but they were down like 26 to six at one point in that game. Like they have issues still very clearly. If you're Minnesota and you wind up with like the fourth or fifth pick and you have a chance at like Lonzo ball or I don't know, Darren Fox, Dennis Smith, like those guys are all like arguably better prospects than Chris Dunn. And like Dunn's a nice prospect, but he was a good prospect in what's a, was a pretty weak draft. Like you almost have to consider like moving on from some of these guys who you might have taken in the last couple of years. Like Denver might be in the same situation with Moody. Like there's like there's like four point guards in this draft that you would probably take for sure right now over Emmanuel Moody. So again, James and I'll cover that more on on the pod tomorrow. I know I know you're not much of like a present NBA draft guy, uh, but let's talk about our redraft. So yeah, number love, one, we agree. Yeah, I love doing redrafts, but I love I just let you guys inform me of of this coming years. You guys Fair. do all the grunt work, and I just I just believe whatever you tell me. Uh, number I think we can just skip and or not skip, but just give our first three picks because we're on par here uh carl anthony towns first porzingis second ben simmons third i don't think cat porzingis is is really that earth shattering right for me in terms of the rookie and sophomore class those are your top two guys in that order the ben simmons things for me coming in at third in relation to guys like turner russell booker murray brandon ingram those guys is kind of interesting obviously because he's never played an nba game yet but the fact that he's not a great shooter he's probably even willing to admit that um some comps have gone as far as oh imagine Giannis running point and that's similar to what ben simmons could do but then again you could also just judge him as basically just a taller rajon rondo i mean there's lots of different ways you can take it and the thing here is that it's it's all up in the air we don't know where it's going to be but for whatever reason you and i both feel comfortable listing him as number three on this Mm -hmm. list yeah and you know the other thing with the sixers team is like they simmons can play four positions probably if he can you know if he can shoot it obviously you if you can learn to shoot it i should say you like him a little bit more at the two and the three off the ball uh but the sixers are in line to get two more lottery picks in this draft you know one of which is probably going to be really high the other of which is going to be the king's pick if that uh, or sure, it's not the King pick, the Lakers pick. Uh, yeah. If the Lakers stay out of the top three, which is looking like they will right now, and they hold the right to swap with the Kings. So in the event that the Sixers go on a run and the Kings tank, the Kings can't get the number one pick under any circumstances. But Philly, you know, if the Kings are higher, could get that. So you have this core already around Simmons, and it's going to get even better. And it's going to be interesting to see who they add around him, and that that might kind of help determine, I guess, where he fits long term. But I still think even with Embiid, like this is this is going to be Simmons team you know the way that the NBA works the guy who handles the ball the most and who can create the most like that's most often whose team it is like Embiid in you know 10 years ago would have been a force and I mean he actually is a force now but in terms of ball dominance like I I just don't know what we're going to see from him as far as you know how many possessions are they going to dump it down and let him work he's not quite you know he's not he has the size, I guess, of a Giannis, but he's he's not nearly that creative with the ball. He's not really a ball handler. Like his ball handling is good for a seven-two guy who's played twenty games, but like in the grand scheme of things, he can't really create. So I think this is going to be Ben Simmons' team, and I'm I'm working on something right now for the site where I, I Ben Simmons is right now my number two to win Rookie of the Year. He has yet to step foot on an wow. NBA court, uh, but I think like first of all. I don't think he's out of it to win Rookie of the Year because how many games is Embiid going to play when it's all said and done? Like 60, 65? Well, here's the thing about him is that he's perfectly spacing it out where he's the front runner for this competition and nobody's knocking him for only playing you know 50% of the games because well, he's spacing it out. 
I'm being right. Right. And so like when it comes down at the end of the season, I don't think anybody's actually going to knock him for not playing, but people will knock Ben Simmons even he com- even if he comes out and play and just balls out. People are going to say not fair, didn't play the whole season. Yeah, well, I, I think so, but I also think that the the rest of the class has been so bad that if Ben Simmons comes back, let me see like how many games would he play if, if he's back late January, we'll say. We'll give him even a little more. Like say he comes back on like January 24th or something like that and plays almost every game the rest of the way I mean that still puts him at like 40 45 games which is you know not a ton by any means uh but like 40 games 45 games of him averaging something like 14 8 and like 6 and I'm not saying that's what he's going to do but he has the capability to do that like that's how good this guy is it wouldn't be a surprise if he put up those numbers like 45 games of that would you take that over Embiid, 60 games of, you know, minutes restrictions, up and down, crazy usage. I'm taking Embiid. And and it should be made clear because... It should be made clear that Embiid's not eligible for this list we're creating because he was drafted two years yes. ago. Even though he is a rookie, this is who was taken in the last two years draft class. Okay. But to be fair, I, I think it, we're, we have so much exposure to Embiid um, where the numbers are going to come out. And even if Ben Simmons does just ball out, here's the thing, though, Nick. I think that Simmons is going to be doing like an every other thing when he comes back. He's not yeah, going to be playing full minutes true. right off the bat. So I it, still think he could finish second, though. Like, yeah, I mean, sure. like Jamal Murray is like I, I guess quote unquote solidly in second place right now, and is he he's shooting like forty percent or less? I think from the right, field, like just under. it's a weak weak class right now. But you know, too early to judge. We'll find out, I guess, in a couple of years what what some of these guys are. But I had the same top three. Um, I do think Porzingis has closed the gap quite a bit yes. on on Towns. Um, I think you know the defensive metrics favor Porzingis this year. He's been, he's I think he's you know he seems like he's been more efficient at least. He's been more consistent than he was last season. The numbers are, are pretty comparable for both Porzingis. To me though, still doesn't rebound at the rate you would think for a guy his size. Um, you know and and. I don't really know what the reason is for that, to be honest. I mean, he ta- hangs out. He's, right. He plays like you know beyond the arc on and offense. Guard- yeah, but and like he's I guarding don't know. guys that play beyond the arc too. I mean, Robin Lopez yeah. is the guy guarding, um, or not Robin no. Lopez? while he's moved on. That's what I'm saying. Like who? Yeah. Who is like he? He just doesn't quite rebound at the same rate. Like I don't know. Like Russell Westbrook rebounds 11 times a game and like he's on the perimeter I don't know I just think he Porzingis could become a better rebounder and he I think he will become a better rebounder but he still nonetheless has closed the gap on Towns part of that is Towns just not making the crazy leaps and bounds that we probably unrealistically expected Uh, but those are our top three you have Miles Turner at four Uh, I went Devin Booker there I have Turner at five Um, you know not really hard to argue either way I don't think I mean you could easily talk me into Turner at four I, I'm afraid to, to put Booker any higher than six right now. So I have Turner, Russell, Booker. If we, sh- if we just want to go in threes, you have uh, Booker, Turner, Russell. So we have the same three guys, right? Yep. Uh, Booker's defense scares me a little bit. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be like a Clay Thompson-type defender. And here's the thing. His shooting from beyond the arc really hasn't been that great this year, and it wasn't necessarily that great last year either when he kind of has the full keys to the Phoenix Suns car. Um, considering that's what we knew he was going to do well or should be doing well is an issue. The fact that he's averaging as many points as he is right now is, is actually pretty great, like way ahead of standards considering that he's still like a young 20-year-old. Um, so Turner just seems like a little bit better on defense. Obviously, they play completely different positions to the point where I say, you know what, he may never be a liability on defense at any point in his career once he finally gets going. Turner? Um, 
Turner. Yeah, I mean, he's been great on D. Right, yeah. Yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah, the Pacers haven't been good. but And so, like, with Booker, it's like, yeah, he he can light it up, but he's not shooting that great from beyond the arc, and I don't – he might actually be a liability on defense throughout a good portion of his career. So that's for me. That's where I'm going to go. Russell is – it's just so hard last year because I just want to throw it out the window with the way By- Byron Scott treated him and Julius Randle. Um, and so I still think all that glimmer and all that allure is still there. So I, I got him at five. But I- I'm a little little hesitant on Booker than I was at this time, you know, six mm-hmm. months – or not this time, but like six months ago. Right. The, the raw numbers year. look better than the efficiency numbers do with Booker. That's for sure. Um yeah, I mean, I, I can't really argue with those. Seven, eight, nine. I I went Ingram, Jamal Murray, and Jalil Okafor. Uh, you went Murray, Ingram, and Justice Winslow. Yes, uh, Jamal Murray. Um, so this is basically is the second best player out of the most recent draft class. Is what we're saying. And for me, he came in at seven. For you, he came in at eight. That really is, uh, you know, that says a lot about this year's draft class, honestly. And I like Jamal Murray. It's just they're. There's a ceiling there, I guess, with him that I get. There's something that like wouldn't surprise me that if we fast forwarded three years, like he was just really good, like really, really good. Because yeah. there were some games at Kentucky uh, last year that you would watch and think like this guy is insane. Like he just has that like he has like the mindset and like the, the takeover gene if there is such a thing. But I don't I don't know that he has like the body or the athleticism to like really really reach his peak. Um, so we'll see. I think he's gonna be really good. I just think the long-term potential of a guy like Booker uh, or, or Russell uh, to me kind of puts them ahead. But I, I really wouldn't be surprised if we did this in a year, Jamal Murray was a couple spots higher. So here's the thing for me on Murray. He had a four-game stretch this year where he faced the Thunder, the Jazz twice, and the Bulls, all four like pretty solid defensive teams, right? At the end of November, he was averaging 28 and a half minutes. He put up 21 points, almost five rebounds, two almost two assists, half a steal, 0.8 blocks, uh, while shooting 50%, um, also th- over three, 3.3 three-pointers made during that stretch. For me, you know, if he's going to see almost 29 minutes per game, that kind of is what we can project for him la- next year. Um, once things thin out or like our own Rotowire's own Andre Snelling says when the Nuggets concentrate on who they have. Um, and that to me is maybe even more enticing than what Booker is putting up now and seeing those exact minutes. So a lot to like from Murray. Ingram hasn't had one of those stretches yet, and I'm still a little bit concerned. Still super thin, hasn't been able to get to the rim as much as you would have liked, especially in comparison to some other rookies like um, like Giannis is mm-hmm. one that people throw out there quite a bit. Um, people people were a little high on Ingram, and I, I cautioned James over the summer so sure. many times on this. It was like, Ingram, I think he's going to be fine going forward, but like he's not NBA ready. He he's rotation ready. He's you know ready to, to to play for this Lakers team that's not in contention right now. Um, but at the same time, you know he's shooting thirty five percent from the field over his last seven games. He's very very up and down uh, in terms of night to night consistency but at the same time like you look and say okay you know on my list I have Ingram at seven Murray at eight like right now Murray might be the better more productive player but if you're the Lakers would you trade Ingram straight up for Murray no no well that's only because you have Clarkson and and Russell if things were a little I don't more think clear, I don't, I don't think they would do it either way no way all right. It is no. a bit early, but in another half of season, when things thin out in Denver, it, it might be more clear Maybe. that, hey, Murray might be a better option than Ingram. I, I don't think the Lakers would make that decision for like another year. 
I like no way. If that, I don't care who else is on the roster. If you just in a vacuum, we're like, we'll give you this guy for this guy. I don't think they're they're bailing on Ingram right now. Yeah. This is a doomed argument because there just isn't enough time. I don't think yeah. many guys are going to bail on on players they just picked up not that long ago. But you, so I have Winslow at nine, and I kind of sheepishly put him in there just because I think he can be a staple and a starting five for the next ten years of his career. By no means do mm-hmm. I think that you know he's going to revolutionize any starting lineup but i do think that uh having a long nba career is is worth quite a bit when we're mm-hmm. analyzing such young guys you have okafor at 9 I do. and and i have him at at 11 and I, I just think that his defense and where the nba is heading is just a major knock on him I think that he can terrorize second team defenses moving forward in his NBA career, but I just think there's a lot of interesting players that could be staples in starting fives where I think Okafor is more of yeah. a second team like Al Jefferson type right now. Yeah, I mean that's fair. The the ceiling with him I guess is kind of limited, but like to me he's so much better offensively than anyone else that's left on my list. So here's the thing though. I think that Okafor is as good offensively right now as he'll ever be in the NBA. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think he was hurt for half of his rookie year. He's been hurt for part of this year. Hasn't really had all that time to work on it. Um, But, I mean, even if he doesn't get any better, like he's averaging like 18 and 8 per 36. Like, I mean, for being the, you know, ninth, 10th, 11th guy on our list, like I think that's fine. To me, like I have Winslow at 10, so I don't disagree all that much. The the thing with Winslow is like a lot of people are kind of in denial, myself included, with the numbers where it's like he looks good when he's on the court. He does a lot of good things when you watch. He does things that you can't quantify all that well uh, or things that are you know being quantified, I guess, more now than they were a few years ago. But he's third last in the NBA you know, among qualified players in true shooting. Like he's a really, really, really like he's way worse offensively than people thought he was, and people didn't think he was that good. He's, I mean, he's only played nine games this year, so take from that what you will. And he's had a hurt wrist uh, for who knows how many of those games, but thirty-four percent shooting. I mean, he shot twenty-seven percent from three last year. Um, you know, I, I think, like I said, he's going to be a really good defender, and I, I really do think he'll be fine long term. Uh, but right now there's not a lot of quantifiable data that says he's been very good and he's been you know objectively really bad on the offensive end i i completely agree with you like i said i think more like somebody who's going to eat up 32 minutes a game Mm -hmm. for the next two seasons does have value even though he is very very much so struggling with his shot the fact that he's averaging four assists though for a non-prime, I mean, they have Goran Dragic on that team. It's not like they're asking him to handle the ball a ton. Like I, th- I think he has really good vision. He, he'll even if he does figure out his shot, like he would never be a shooting guard who just averages like two assists or one assist a game. Like he gets it, I think, as a passer, and I, I think that'll really you can't teach something like that. And I think he'll be all right long term. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So okay. moving forward, next three, I have Marquise Chris, which I, I feel bad about. Okafer and then Moutier, you have Winslow, Lyles, and Sabonis. Chris is somebody that's not even on your board, and, I, and I'm willing to admit perhaps I have him too high. I think where the NBA is headed, the fact that he does attempt and make some three-pointers, that he could get it. Now a lot of the early indication out of Phoenix is that you know, he's just not going to understand basketball schemes. Like he tried to beat up Chris Stapps last night. Like that was, and he didn't even fight that was back. Like, sweet, he started it and then he, he stood back, right over him. I, no, weird. I thought he did. The, he threw him down and then kind of like stood over him before Brandon Jennings and Chandler and whoever else got in there. Like, I don't like, I'm not going to say I like someone throwing someone to the ground, but I mean, he's not, I like that for a really young rookie who hasn't been playing basketball all that long. And, probably no one on the Knicks even knew who he was like I I like that fire and you know maybe you don't express it that way but I was fine with it 
Yeah, I'm I'm okay with it, but I I, I mean I guess. This for me is the riskiest guy to have on the list, and yes, I have him at ten. But you know his his athleticism at six ten, where the NBA is headed. Again, the fact that he shoots threes. Um, there's a lot of you know the ceiling is really high with him. The problem that again the floor is is very very yeah. low, maybe the lowest out of anybody that we're going to talk about today. I think the fact that he's playing over Dragon Bender says a lot. Not that Phoenix has been good or that Chris has even been good. I mean, he hasn't really been. He's shooting forty three percent, but like. For a, for a guy who's you know, half of his field goal attempts basically have come from three, like that's not horrible. Uh, and like we thought, you know, Bender's raw, and then Jerry's totally still out on him. Like this is not an indictment on Bender, but I thought Chris was like even more raw. And the fact that he's been able to at least get into the rotation, I think, says something about him. I think this is an indictment on Bender. We don't have him on our list, and somebody who was definitely a project is starting over him playing more yeah. minutes than him. It is an indictment on Bender. That's yeah, exactly the, what it there, is. There is a little bit of like a Hazonia feel with oh, him, boy. but we'll see. I mean, I think he's. We really have no idea with him, but um. So yeah, I had a, Lyles at eleven. Don't really have a lot to say. He's just he's just really solid. You know, probably not going to move higher or lower from that spot in a few years. Sabonis at twelve. You know, rotational guy starter for a pretty good team in the West. Um, the fact that they're comfortable playing him says a lot. I think uh, thirteen through fifteen. Let's let's finish these up quickly. Well, I guess you have Moutier at twelve. Let's talk about that. I did not include him on my list because he is a bad basketball player. Okay, uh, that's fair. I understand that argument. You know, I'm I'm at the point in the list where I'm willing to concede to any like lo- general logic. The thing for me that 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 made me put him on the list is that point guards take longer to catch on in the league, and maybe at some point he'll get it at at some point in the next mm-hmm. couple of years. So for that reason, the fact that he is pretty athletic, he is a big point guard. I'll, I'll toss him on this top fifteen list for now. I do wonder with Moutier, like. If you put like Sean Kilpatrick on this team and played him as much as they play him and have the ball in his hands as much, like does he put up the same numbers? Somebody right. like well, that. I, here, I mean, if he moves it down to a shooting guard spot, would we be saying this? I mean, I, I don't I, think we would. The he fact can't that shoot. He, well, yeah, that's that's a problem. Yeah. He, can't, he can't play shooting guard because he can't shoot the ball. Yeah, I guess if he just wasn't entrusted with so much responsibility, maybe right. pre- the light wouldn't shine so bright on him. He's just gotten worse. Like he hit, he had so many bright spots last year that every time you get down on him, he would have a week where he'd play really well. And it's like everything's down. Assists are down. Scoring is, I guess, up by point three. The rebounding is, you know, minimal improvement there, and that's kind of fluky for a point guard. Field goal percentage is down. Three point shooting is down on more attempts. Like. I mean, this is kind of the disaster scenario for Denver. The nice thing is you have Jamal Murray playing really well, and you know you're getting another draft pick, and you have a, a lot of assets. But I do wonder on Moody, like, do they sell high on him at some point, or sell low? I guess on him, you know, kind of a, a Carter Williams situation, and. I mean, MCW wasn't all that good, but Moutier has been markedly worse. Yeah, Jamal Murray. We we like you know we've talked about we talked yeah. about with Harrison Wynn. Jamal Murray can play point guard, and that's right. somebody that we like a lot. Mm-hmm. I have a number seven. You have him at number eight. Uh, finishing out the fifteen, I have Sabonis at thirteen for the reasons you said. Lyles, I'm not crazy about him. I asked James for his list on official list, and he had Lyles at like eight or something like that. He's still pretty high on him. I finish out with Brown. You have Brown, Dunn, Decker. Um, that 15 spot was up in the air for me. I don't feel good about Brown, but why did you include Decker over basically the rest of the field? Uh, Decker's been good. And that's why. I mean, he's kind of with the rest of these guys, you know, someone like like Brown and, and even Dunn and Sabonis to some degree, you're projecting out a lot. And like Decker didn't play almost at all in his rookie season. He played like six total minutes or something like that. And he's been like a really, really nice bench spot or bench piece for this for this Houston team. Like the numbers aren't great, seven and four, 
you know, with an assist, but he's shooting 38% from three. He's shooting 51% from the floor. Like, he just looks like he's going to be a really good seventh man, you know, in the future for the next 10 years. Done? I mean, I haven't seen anything from him Dunn, to, to warrant he, Dunn's been Dunn's been bad, yeah. but he's still Chris Dunn, and, like, I don't – I don't know. I I think I just like like him too much as a prospect and as a college player to to give up on him. Like he's still he's shooting like forty percent from the field, which is not good. But there's been rookie point guards that have shot a lot worse than that. Um, so I'm not. I mean, I'm not ready to give up on him. And like I think he's the one guy that in a year or two, if I look back and I was like, wow, I thought this was the fourteenth best guy out of these two drafts. Like he could shoot up a lot more to me than than Brown or than certainly Decker, Lyle, Sabonis. Um, Brown to me too, though. I mean, he he really hasn't played that bad. He just the numbers don't look good, but he's, he's not sexy. He's shooting like forty six percent from the field, which for a rookie yes. that you know takes a lot of tough shots as he does, I don't think is horrible. Thirty eight percent from three and low volume of attempts. That was a tiebreaker um, for me. Is that he's shooting so well now? I might put him higher. Both of those guys, I think, should I would probably put ahead of like of Lyles and Sabonis if I if I did this again. So here's one notable omission, uh, and then I'm going to go over all of them, um, but. The reason why we put Sabonis like playing solid minutes on a good team, why aren't we saying that with Pascal or Pascal? Excuse me, Siakam. That's the first time I've ever said his name, by the way. So no, no one. Yeah, that's dead. fair. That's but I mean, fair. he's doing the exact same thing, putting up solid numbers. That's somebody who's not getting a lot of respect in terms of rookie and sophomore guys in the NBA. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair for sure. Um, you know, you could kind of swap him out with any of those thirteen through fifteen guys. Malcolm Brogdon, even you know he's been pretty good for the Bucks. The, um, the way that I looked at this is if like all the rookies and sophomores that were taken in the last few years, obviously not not including Embiid, were thrown back into a draft. How would it go down? Yeah, and you know you, you kind of do revert back to those Duns and, and J- those Jalen Browns that that were not you know it wasn't that long. We're not ranking were like how good they've been so far. It's if if you were redoing these drafts and these players were being selected right now that today we know. it's like yeah yeah like if you want to go with like production like yeah maybe josh richardson's included or like i norman thought about power him. like norman powell i don't yeah. know um notable but, admissions from 2015 nba draft obviously Hazonia is perhaps one of the biggest ones collie stein stanley johnson frank kaminsky uh cameron payne kelly Oubre jr terry rogier rashad vaughn 2016 draft notable admissions a whole lot obviously bender uh healed uh Jakubodal, thon maker torian prince um but as we look at it now and even if we look at it down the road i think the 2015 nba draft class is markedly better than the 2016 and this exercise is somewhat yeah. proven that yeah i think so i think that's for sure the case and you know if you want to if you want to go by like rookie classes adding Embiid, i think you know brings even more firepower of course to to you know this in this 2016 class but yeah just going purely off draft classes i mean it's looking like you know, we just one of some of these someone in the lottery. It's not like it's going to be Ben Simmons and everyone else just sucks in five years. But like one or two of those guys are going to emerge. Uh, but it's looking right now like the best player. You know that like no one Ben Simmons hasn't even played a game, hasn't even been close to playing a game, and we're very confident that he's the best player in this class. <laughs> like that says that to me says a lot. Yeah, no, I I think you're totally right. Um, okay, um, last gotta, thing. I got to talk about Blitz Pick. You got to talk about it. 
Unless you want to. I'll talk you about do it. it. Yes, I'll talk you do about it. it. Please. Uh, good friends at Blitzpick. Do you enjoy playing daily fantasy sports but struggle to find the time to research players and track news, especially on mobile devices? Well, download Blitzpick, your DFS command center. Blitzpick is a state-of-the-art mobile companion for FanDuel and DraftKings users featuring a lineup optimizer, player news, injury alerts, historical stats, and much more. Their proven lineup optimizer incorporates advanced analytics and game theory to keep you a step ahead of the competition. Blitzpick's news comes directly from us here at Rotowire, ensuring you never miss a story. Get injury alerts pushed directly to your phone as soon as the news breaks. Blitzpick even recommends the best replacements. Check out their value play section for the right players to build your lineups around. You can also pick a few and then let Blitzpick Optimizer do the rest or fill in your lineup manually, relying on their accurate projections. Blitzpick is available on the iPhone and Google Play stores. All of that is correct. It's all very, very true. What are you looking forward to the rest of the week in the NBA? For me, it's the trades. I, like, I hope trades happen tomorrow. I hope they just, I just break. Is there a precedent for that? I don't know. I no, don't remember that being the case. Let a guy dream. I guess. Yeah, I don't, I'm not getting my hopes up. Um, yeah, I'll have to look at the schedule. I, I'm, I've just been laser-focused on UWGB versus Wisconsin oh my gosh. tonight. Here's um, what I want to ask you because it's taking some heat around the league. Uh, the back-to-back Memphis versus Cavs game, Cavs electing to rest, you know, the majority of their top players. Kyrie yesterday and now the big three today. J.R. Smith is going to be the best player on the court for the Cavaliers tonight sure in Memphis. Is. What do you think about that? What do I think about J.R. being the best player for the Cavs? I mean, What do you think about the fans in Memphis, that, who, the Cavalier fans in Memphis? It's not the Cavaliers' responsibility to – They don't owe They don't owe the Grizzlies anything. Uh, it's the Grizzlies' fault if they don't have players who can draw attendance to me. Uh, and I get that that's kind of a cynical way to look at it, but – like you can't. Where do you draw the line where you say like, okay, you can rest. Like, if the Cavs were resting J.R. Smith because he he had sore legs, like that's why Kyrie's resting. He has sore legs. He said he just couldn't push off, so he's resting. Like, no one would care if they were resting J.R. or they were resting Shumpert. But since it's Kyrie and since it's LeBron, like, at what point do you say like, okay, this guy's too good. He 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 could, uh, compensates for this much in ticket sales. You can't rest him, but you can rest this guy because no one's actually here to see him. If you want to go see the Cavaliers, go to Cleveland and watch the Cavaliers. I just, I totally get it. And like, if I was a kid, especially you know who had been wanting to see LeBron and whose parents paid all this money to go see him, like, of course I'd be disappointed. I'm, and that's totally rational. But like, you can't. Like, the, LeBron doesn't owe anything to the city of Memphis. Like, he he shouldn't he shouldn't be made out as to feel bad that he's resting. You know, or like. Wh- like I don't know when is he supposed to build in this rest? Like at home when he's not disappointing, you know, other fans in Cleveland can see him other nights. Like, I don't get it. Do you think it's about to become an epidemic? We have Aldridge no. sitting out tonight against the Celtics. We have Cousins sitting out. I mean, the Kings are still like somewhat reasonably in the playoff picture. I know that sounds crazy to say, but let's be honest here. No team gives up this early in the competition, at least not for rest no, purposes. No, I think the Kings saw this as like, all right, Macklemore and Gay are already out. We probably weren't going to win this game anyway. Why waste Cousins and play him 40 minutes? Like, let's let's just take the loss that we were going to get anyway and get Cousins some rest. That's how I see that. Okay, I, I just I think it becomes a broader issue when you have bad and poor teams doing it yes. as well. Well, yeah, that's another thing too, is like when the Spurs did it, you know, and they, they were penalized by the league for doing it because it was a national TV game. Mm-hmm. That was something where they were, it was, you know, people I felt like took the Spurs side there, right? For the most part, especially like the, you know, the basketball writing, Twitter, whatever community took the Spurs side. And it was, you know, they're being smart about it. They, why would they throw their guys out 82 games a year? But yeah, it's different. Like the way it's viewed if you're a bad team is like, well, 
why do you care? Like your player should be out there. You're bad. You need to win. Like, yeah, there, there seems to be like this, you have to be X good of a team to earn the right to rest your players, which I don't know if I agree with. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's becoming an issue. I'm seeing a lot of more. The season should be shortened, which I don't yeah. necessarily agree with. That's what this all comes back to. I think is like, all right, if you're not going to shorten the season, then we're going to shorten it ourselves by not playing as many games. If you're going to shorten it, I think some people have come out and said like 30 games, 35. Games. I think that's ridiculous. I think the no. lowest it should ever be is 60. That's uh, that's even a lot. Well, not even 60, but like 58 or something like that. You need to play everybody at least twice home and oh. home, and that should be the minimum. So what is is that like? No, I mean I think I think games. 60 is like that's cutting off 22 games. Like to me, that's a lot. I think I agree. But I think I'm just saying, going down to like 72 even would be yeah. a would be huge as far as the number of back to backs and like removing 10 games off the schedule. I mean, what you could do with that schedule wise. I think would be a lot. Even like even removing five games in the grand scheme of things would be a lot because like how many times are you really resting LeBron a year? Like five, right? You know, if you can just take those games out, all of a sudden you don't need to rest him. Yeah, it's the back to backs, and it's like the four right. games in five days that people get all up in arms about, and, and rightly so. The reason why it's eighty two right now, or the reason that makes sense to me, is because you play your opposing conference twice, and then mm-hmm. you play your in conference, you know, Western Eastern four times. Yeah, and so if I mean keep it even, if anything, do a two and three or something like that, because you, you have to have a chance for the you know the NBA is just set up. It's not quite like the NFL. Everybody should be traveling to each city, so any number below 60 to me is just stupid and arbitrary yeah i mean and it's tough too because like if you are a midwestern team you're inherently traveling fewer miles because you don't have to go coast to coast ever you know like the farthest you're ever going is one coast back to the midwest or other coast back to the midwest like that's proven like the west coast and the east coast teams travel more well i don't know about the east coast because like dc and the new yorks and boston's are so close together that it's a lot different between salt lake going to minnesota or the thunder going to salt lake because like the teams within your own division are actually like 500 mile johns compared to the east so i don't know it's always different for every team but you're right i don't know know even that a team like portland travels a ton yeah i don't know that like it comes down to mileage like i mean i don't know i'm full disclosure i'm not an nba player never have been i I don't know i don't know why it's taken me so long to reveal that um but I, I would think that like traveling is traveling at some point. You know, obviously a cross country flight is different than, you know, flying from DC to Orlando or something like that. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's just like the process of traveling and having to spend an hour checking into your hotel, hour getting back on the plane, and then the bus. Like, just all that I think together. Like, I don't know that mileage or distance traveled is the bigger thing as far as like just number of sheer trips that you're on. Yeah, no, that's that's completely fair. Anyways, lots of good stuff to look forward to. Lots of good stuff we talked about now. Mm-hmm. Uh, love talking about redrafting. That, that's one of my favorite topics that we. Do. It is. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. 
Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.